0: hello again and welcome to the one big podcast no,
1: restart that you sounded so exasperated when you said hello <laughs> and welcome to oh
2: man can we get the outtakes to this, this oh my god oh,
1: here we go
0: sorry i'll pep it up a bit i'm sorry uh, derek yeah
2: thanks
0: <laughs> hello and welcome to the one big podcast i am <laughs> It's me, fellow worker Jason, here with fellow worker Derek, who got him how's ready it to going? take a drink.
1: Uh huh. Yeah. How's it going?
0: And our special guest, fellow worker Lindsay. Hi. Today we're having a bit of a conversation about a touchy subject for the IWW. Apparently, um, we're talking about the how uh, the IWW is pretty white and pretty male, um, and uh, what we can do to maybe point us in the better direction. And uh, how do we address it? So let's start off with what started this conversation, Derek. You saw something posted on the internets,
1: I believe. Yeah. So, so there's there's been there's been a few discussions around kind of the whiteness and the white culture of uh, of the of the IWW in general. Uh, somebody posted a an article about the characteristics of white supremacy culture, uh, specific to like in organizations. And it, you know, started off a very, a very strong set of reactions. Uh, some people very much so identifying with it and looking at it as a potential tool of analysis within the organization. And some people reacted very strongly against it, saying, nope, the IWW is not racist or doesn't have these characteristics. Uh, this is not the case. Uh, and and it was a, you know, I think I, I considered it kind of a point of controversy. I'm not sure that everyone would see it that way, but it is certainly the way that I read it.
0: I did not read the whole thing <laughs> because right. there was a lot. It was a lot on the old interrobs. Um, but uh, I'm always for being critical of the organization you're in to make it better. Like it just comes with the territory of any organization that you should be like, all right, how can we move this forward in a more positive manner? So. Lindsay, let's uh talk about you for a minute before we get too deep into the subject
2: sure what what is it you do and uh what brings you here? So I am um a social worker. I work at a hospital and an inpatient psychiatric unit. Um, I've met Eric. I'm sorry, Derek, through some organizing efforts um that we had done at the hospital and uh, so I'm interested in kind of macro organizing and some education. And so you can't see what we look like. But for some context for this particular podcast, um, I am identify as a queer woman of color. Um, and so I am the de facto expert on white supremacy here. <laughs> <laughs> are, are you ready to speak for everybody that looks like you? <laughs> I am. I am. I um, am. Ready to represent all Black people um, <laughs> on the face of the earth. All of their opinions are going to be shared through my voice right now. Mm-hmm. That's my job. Your cultural sure I, board. Yeah, I make sure I ask about like what the public opinion should be at every Black person convention that I go to. <laughs> um,
0: uh, yeah. the annual meeting. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. Yeah. So
0: let's talk about first where the IWW started because it has historically been. Um, very anti-racist in that, like, even our founders were, you know, in a time when you know, blacks and whites were not allowed to talk to each other. Basically, uh, we were, uh, what's the word, interracial. Very much so. I've been reading the Ben Fletcher book, which has been very good. Uh, give me a lot of good ideas. Uh, and at one point, Philadelphia was controlled by us. Uh, the docks at least, and that was a union that was completely integrated. How do you think, and we historically have fought people like the KKK, and, you know, we have a whole long history of being anti-racist. How do we go from that to a very white-facing male organization?
1: So, I will say that I don't, I will just say that I don't know how male-dominated the IWW is. Um, Like, that's something I have less of a comment on. Like, I, I mean, for the Ipsy IWW, I think we have a fair amount of diversity, on um, sex and gender, um, but we but we are a very white branch, uh, and and it, and if you look across the IWW probably there's a lot of whiteness around around the around the one big union, and it is an interesting question of how we got here. I think it's, it's a really interesting question because everything you just said is true. Like we come we come from a history of organizing. Uh, across, across color lines and across uh, sex lines. Like that's something that we've done since 1905 at our founding convention. We threw on the gauntlet and said, nah, like the AFL, the American Federation of Labor, they can, they, they can kind of protect the trades from people of color, but not the IWW. We're going to organize everybody everywhere. That's, we want to build worker power. And it's not going to happen by segregating us out of, of workplaces. Right. So, so I, I, I think like how we got here is a very different is is a very hard question to answer, and one which requires a lot of investigation the the annals of IWW history. Uh, but but we are here, right? The IWW has shrunk in size massively from its height, which were when it had more than thirty thousand workers, more than like a ridiculous number of workers across the country compared to where it is today at roughly 8000 workers right uh, and and as the IWW has shrunk like what is the labor movement right like the labor movement has been heralded by the IWW on one hand being like a very militant wing of the labor movement and then like organized the other organized labor unions like the AFL CIO and UAW and organizations like that which eventually came to embrace Um, People of color in their ranks as well, Uh, people from different backgrounds, different 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 sexes. Like they organized everybody as well, because in their in the long run, it wasn't in their best interest to leave people out of that effort. And meanwhile, while those heralds of the labor movement have basically let the movement die over time, um, the labor movement has kind of slowly ground to a halt. And those of us who are privileged enough to be like fighting for labor uh, have largely been militant white people, which I think. Arguably, uh, is in part because, and I think Lindsay, you pointed this out to me, so I'm not trying to steal your talking points, but I think it was a really good point that 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 in part, like organizing in labor, is a very privileged action in some spaces, maybe all spaces.
2: Yeah, I was thinking as you guys were talking about whether or not to address the shift, or or to even acknowledge in the first place that, I mean, IWW is in the United States is this I mean, if we ascribe to this concept that we are raised in a racist country, right? And we all are exposed to the same media, right? We're exposed to these same attitudes. And as a result, we all have kind of an implicit bias um, that's racist and and that includes black people. I know this is not a a time to get into whether or not black people can be racist. That's not a conversation for right now. But the point is, Arguably, any institution in the United States that's that is in the United States, um, which contains United States citizens, is likely to have an implicit racial bias, um, just as a, a default. So, I I would argue that it, it probably was never not there, um, but that I would agree that representation has probably gone down. As general membership sounds like it has gone down, I it sounds like. Um, it would make sense to me, given the financial crises of this decade so far, that some individuals and disproportionately people of color would have to focus on advocating for things like access to food and access to, um, like, keeping your electricity on and these kind of like mutual aid kind of fun th- things rather than talking about workplace organizing, right? So many people are just happy to have a job. They're happy to work in a factory and get exploited because they are able to finally feed their families. And so putting themselves out there as someone who would potentially antagonize a boss or antagonize a workplace is not in somebody's best interest, right? So. It is kind of privileged. I mean, I, right now I'm working on an emergency fund. I'm full. I'm. I, I have a full time job, and so I have this emergency fund to fall back on if I were to get fired because of organizing. But many people don't have that. Um, I read a statistic recently that most Americans couldn't cover um, a $500 expense without having to use a credit card. And so it, we're talking about people and that are not going to be able to make it really make ends meet without having that employment. So to risk that, to organize a workplace is is kind of a privileged position to be in. I agree.
0: Yeah. And it's one of those things that, like you said, it, we come from a culture that, you know, is steeped in racism. Like anytime you hear about something bad in America, some system that's bad, you're like, and if you look back 50 years, what do you know? It's because we're racist. <laughs> uh, it's one of those things that it, it's in you and it's how you, It's whether or not you uh, confront it and then realize you have that privilege and how you use it. So, like, I'm a white guy. I am a very stereotypical white guy. Uh, You know, I listen to old folk music and I uh, like the MCU and uh, (laughs) that kind of thing. And I know that, you know, certain things for me in life are inherently easier or I have the, the privilege, you know, like getting a mortgage, for example. And it's not... I guess, an insult to me to say, hey, you've got white right privilege. It's more like, hey, you've got it. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to pull people up with it? Or are you just going to perpetuate that system?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, but even like despite some of those attitudes uh, and, you know, I can talk about where we are and, and what and what we do. And that is like the FCI WW is still a largely white organization. Uh, and and the kind of face of the IWW is a very white thing. And actually the face of organized labor is, is a very is a very kind of white face. Uh, if you go into like the the central labor councils of the AFL CIO, um, you have a lot of like aging middle-aged middle age to later aged um, white folks, largely men or women. And and it's not the most diverse crowd. Even in instances where unions are, are represent diverse workforces, that's the that that's the case. Like who who is leading those unions? Who who is elected to leadership positions? Uh, and how do you engage in those communities? The the labor movement, the AFL CIO, actually has like entire seminars that they put on, like being like Black men in unions, for example, and and try, trying to kind of push push forward. Uh, like very formal structural ways of trying to engage people on those issues. And I do think it's kind of a, I, I do think it's kind of like a self-selecting problem in some ways, right? Because, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a white guy and, and the community that I kind of live it within can be very diverse, but Ypsilanti is a very segregated city. If you look at how Ypsilanti is set up, we have a big state road that runs to the middle of it. And on one half of it is a lot of is a lot of very pretty well off middle class at at worst, um, white folks. Um, and on the south of it is a very old black community uh in Ypsilanti. Uh and and in terms of like how those communities mix, like you you walk down to like Depot Town, for example. It's a very, it's a very white space. Um, Eastern Michigan University, which is a very uh 26% or so black student population still seems very white at times. So my networks as a white guy in Ypsilanti have have resultingly been very white, right? I mean that is that is where they come. And I think it's probably very similar in a lot of in a lot of the lives of other organizers. And, And we actually know that our networks tend to follow along like how we were raised and in the spaces that we that we live in. So our networks will often be less diverse, especially our interpersonal networks. And so when you have an organization in which people come in, in part because of their relationship to the subject and to the people who are engaged in it, and you think about who you're pulling into that organization, you're mostly pointing people who look a lot like you, right? Uh, which is why the IWW's kind of old methodology is we have to be out there. We have to be out there in the communities where, where, where we aren't and listen to people and understand what their issues are, what their concerns are. We're not there. We, we shouldn't be there explicitly to like organize them into, into the union. Um, but we should always be encouraging workers to organize, obviously, but we have to meet workers where they are. And, and if we aren't doing that, if we're organizing principally in spaces that have a lot of white folks um, and those white folks aren't really talking about how we are, how we are giving space for and making sure that other voices have space there and that we're standing in true solidarity with our fellow workers right i mean i mean let let, let let's let, let's be honest here if you have an organizing campaign in your workplace and you've got a group of white people and a couple of black folks in that workplace and someone's going to get retaliated against is there somebody who's more likely to be retaliated against hmm. And the answer is, well, it's probably the black folks. Like they're easier; they're going to be easier to retaliate against. Um, there. and 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 the and the boss can kind of target them and get rid of them um, for organizing. And the question is, what are we of? What are we as workers going to do? And so the IWW, we have to build solidarity everywhere we, everywhere we go, uh, and that solidarity has to be real solidarity. And that means that when your boss targets people of color. Um, that you're willing to stand up to make sure that those people have their jobs protected and if they get, if they get kicked out, you're walking out with them. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, the, like one of the things that I'm not quite sure to communicate is how you build that relationship outside of just building relationships and that's really what it comes down to. You have to be willing to talk to everybody in your workplace, just not the folks who kind of look like and hang out with you on a regular basis that was a little rambly. Did it
2: make sense? Mm -hmm. No, it made sense. I'm, I'm trying to respond to both of you and separately though. Um, so Jason, I, I like that uh, you're, you mentioned by name white privilege. Right. And, um, I just like to, um, clarify, like, especially in this context, that white privilege is really more of your life. Wasn't made difficult by, the fact that you were white, like your white life wasn't made more difficult by the fact that you're white. Yeah. Like, yes, you're able to get a mortgage and that's awesome. And yes, um, there are other privileges and I, I hear that. And I'm, I'm so happy to hear you like kind of check those and recognize those and verbalize those, but also <clears throat> to acknowledge that um, white privilege can not necessarily lead to good things like being able to get a mortgage. White privilege can simply be the absence of discrimination.
0: Right.
2: And I think that's important to acknowledge, especially in the context of what Derek is talking about, is that in a workplace, you have the benefit of the absence of discrimination based on the color of your skin. And your fellow workers do not have that necessarily if they are people of color.
0: Oh, totally. I've walked into places where I'm like, I have no qualifications. Give me a job.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And um, so it's, it's hard and it's interesting that I think I want to acknowledge just very quickly the, the doubt, like how it affects organizing when there's not enough diversity. Derek, I, um, I want to talk about something that we had a conversation about the other day. Um, trying to build a, um, a wage transparency survey that we would kind of publish. And we had talked about, so um, despite my last name being of Hispanic origin, I'm not, um, I don't identify as Hispanic, I'm adopted. Um, it's, it's a long story, but um, Derek and I were talking about the term Latinx, right? As a gender neutral form of, of um, being Latino or Latina. And so, it turns out I went to my friend. So one of my best friends is um, non-binary um, and she's Mexican. And she was telling me that that it's correct. Latinx is not um, really accepted by Spanish populations, but because it's so hard to pronounce. So the Latinx in Spanish would be Latinx, and that's too hard to say, right? And so instead they say Latine, E. Right. Instead of A or O, it'd be the gender neutral would be E. And it's much easier for them to say. So that's a perspective that we really could have used, Derek and I, while trying to create this um culturally competent uh, like survey to hand out to people. Um and it's it's just crazy like how difficult it is to be culturally competent when you don't have that experience yourself. Mm-hmm. Um And it just really kind of I just wanted to highlight how important it would be to have those voices in spaces of any kind of organizing Um, and that a special effort should be made to bring those kinds of people out and make them feel comfortable.
0: Yeah, I know um, my own organizing campaign at my work. There are a few black folks in in our office and like I've tried to get a few of them on organizing committee. And you can definitely feel the thing you were talking about before where they're like, I know I need a job. Like I got a kid. I need a job. I can't. I can't be fooling around with this white folk shit. I'm just, I'm not doing it. <laughs> so like we try to get their input and then like, you know, let them just let them input when they want to. And then if they want to be involved, they can. But other than that, they're just like, no, I'm gonna stay, I'm gonna stay safe distance away.
2: Well, acknowledge how much, how easy, how much easier would it be for you to get a replacement job?
0: Oh, totally. I had, I had four jobs in
1: 2019. (laughs) I mean, so simultaneously, you know, I was having a conversation with social workers at a place that we were organizing with. And one of them kind of said, uh, it was a place that had social workers and teachers. And the teacher said, one of the teachers actually said to me, like, you know, I have these colleagues who are people of color and like, I'm very cognizant of my privilege, right? Like I'm very cognizant of my privilege and how I feel safe doing this. And I don't know um, like I don't know if I feel comfortable asking them to do this because they are at greater risk, and and so at the same time, like I, I also have to tell that person, like you know, the bottom line is yes, we should be cognizant of that, and we should be upfront about it, and and we might even want to admit it. Like I understand, I understand that you're coming from a place where where you may feel like you are like you are at heightened risk, and I want to recognize that. And I think that what we have to do is also be clear that you know, I am here to stand alongside you, right? Like I'm going to be here. If you need, if you need assistance, if you need someone to shine a flashlight on the boss with you, I'm here behind you to make sure that that happens. But the bottom line is, A, if you don't ask those people to come out to organizing work, right? Um, Because you, because A, like you feel uncomfortable because like you recognize their privilege. Well, that, so that's problematic because we need their voices, right? We need everybody's voice at the table. Uh, so we have to ask people to come out to these things. Um, and then, and then at the same time, um, we also have to ask them to come out. We also have to ask them to come out to the table, uh, because that's how solidarity gets born. Right? And if we build a union around people that we're not comfortable asking to come out, then they're never going to have access to the space. And we're going to build a weird internal culture that is alien to them that they don't even know how to come into, to begin with. Uh, and even though we did invite them initially, right? It doesn't matter. We always have to be open to asking them to come out. Uh, and, and and we I we just have to be clear that that I will come out with you and support you. Like what do you need? What do you need? And that is, and that is the question that I think we have to keep asking. And it's like organizing 101, right? We do not tell workers what their problems are. If you're an organizer and you're out there and you're telling workers what their problems are, you are wrong. You need to revisit your organizing basics because what you need to be doing is understanding what their issues are so that you can understand how we as a community of workers can help them and all of us organize around these issues. Uh, and so so if you're talking to people, of, if you're talking to Black people, if you're talking to Latine people, if you're talking to somebody from a culture that you're not super accustomed to, I, I think that it's, it behooves us to do a little extra listening and to make sure that they know that this space is safe for them to talk about their issues and that we need to know what those issues are so that we can organize capably around them.
2: Yeah, it's 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 hard because I, I'm thinking of the scenario where someone who is white and is very interested in getting a union card signed by their fellow workers, right? Wants to approach someone of color and and try to propose this. And while you're doing this little needs assessment, forgive my social work terminology, but mm-hmm. you're doing this little needs <laughs> assessment, You're trying to figure out like, what are the needs of this person in the workplace? But you really find out that the needs of this person are childcare, right? And they're less concerned about workplace conditions. They're not, concerned about maybe having to work more hours and staying late and not getting paid because they're really more concerned about making sure someone is able to care for their children Mm -hmm. right? while they're at work. How would you, No, I'm not, and this is a rhetorical question but how would you approach, what would you do, right? And so you're trying to get someone to sign a union card. You want to talk about this topic of workplace organizing but somebody Mm -hmm. is saying to you, my needs are beyond, more basic than that, right? Maslow's hierarchy of needs my, my needs are more basic than that. I need to make sure I have steady access to the internet or to, to, to gasoline or to childcare or to food. And those are my priorities. Those are the things that I need to focus on making sure I have access to. I don't have time to worry about this. So, so kind of think about how would you respond to somebody like that?
1: It's a, it's a, it's, it's a great question. It actually highlights a difference between how the IWW organizes and how I would respond to that is based on how the IWW organizes, right? Like the IWW by the time if if you're part of an organizing campaign with the IWW and you're trying to organize a union via a card drop campaign i'm going to tell you as as an IWW organizer that that's a mistake right because if you haven't already done the legwork in your workplace to build serious workplace solidarity what you're going to end up with is a is a is a is a union bureaucracy right so if it were me in that situation if i were already at the card at the card campaign level i assume that i've already done the legwork of having people talk like this person's been talked to before and so like i would hope that in an iww organizing campaign we aren't at the point where this has happened because because our approach to the situation should have started from the beginning What are your issues? We aren't even at the card campaign yet. We need to talk to every worker in this place to bring them on board. And if their issues are childcare, let's talk about how we fix childcare in the workplace. Um, What do you need to make childcare more effective for you? Is it better pay? Is Is it earlier, is it leaving work earlier to get to pick up your kid? Um, is it having a child care stipend to help pay for uh, child care affordability? Which of these things would be like more money is always a good one, right? Money, money is a good one. Uh, so so are these things that would help you with your child care problem? Um, and if the answer is yes, you know, the follow up is, well, we have a meeting every Friday at three o'clock. I'd love for you to come out and have a conversation with us about, about how we make that a reality in our workplace, because we need to make sure that folks like you have what you need to work comfortably and not be stressed out how's that how's that response lindsay
2: i like that response i want to give jason a minute to talk because i know i talk too much no it, to say.
0: have you met derek uh,
2: <laughs> fair enough i guess i can hold my own so here's me holding my own right and so derek i i do like that answer i i think it's i think it's helpful i think it's relevant i think um All of those things are tied in, right? And so workplace organizing is the thing that funds food, right? I I think that's a great point. That's a great connection to make. No, I really appreciate that. I did have another point, but I also am brain farting. So I guess let's (laughs) give it to Jason.
0: I'll actually go back to something Derek said about how your networks kind of like are people that look like you or your personal networks. And I find that any organization will be self-perpetuating unless you do the work, right? Unless you're doing that thing, like Derek said, and reaching out to all your workers and stuff. It's and it's not like it's something you have to work against because of the society we live in. You know, if you're not working against it, it will just autumn kind of like seep in without you knowing just because, you know, I grew up in a straight white male in America. So I know the references for other straight white males. So when I see art that's by straight white males or like directed at straight white males I'm like, oh, yeah, look at that sad white boy music. Hell yeah. Uh, You know, it just it just hits me. And like I relate to it more than I would something outside of that. So when I'm like doing something like workplace organizing, I have that kind of uh, deck of cards to work with, you know, that kind of those cultural uh, language to work with. And it's going to attract other people like me. And then I so you got to kind of like go, all right, how do I communicate with a culture that's different than mine or like a somebody who is different than me and you got it and a lot of that comes in listening and just figuring it out by listening
2: i think that culture point is a good point um quick illustration of not fitting into culture that's not related to race went to a training today for six hours i didn't get one of the references not (laughs) one. everyone was old like much older than me um and so they're making references to movies from like before i was born didn't understand the whole thing. I know see, I, I would have
0: fit right in because that's all I want. Like.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, you're a much older than me white man. Yeah, I see that. Okay.
0: Yeah, no, um, I'm just a film nerd. Oh, with, with, with a but
1: subscription to the Criterion Collection. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: But the point is, the point is I want to highlight and make people aware, like really how uncomfortable it is to enter a space where nobody else looks like you.
1: Mm-hmm. I
2: just really want to make that just really reflect on how many times have you entered a space where you were expected to participate verbally, where the entirety of the room had a different culture than you. Mm -hmm. Now I'm lucky. I am extremely privileged in that I was raised in super waspy culture, right? The parents that raised me were both very, very white people, right? And so I'm, I'm familiar with how to navigate white spaces. And that's a massive, massive privilege that I have. And so I'm more comfortable joining a podcast with two white men to talk about, right? Racism and and white supremacy, like that's fine for me. I'm comfortable in that space. But to acknowledge that entering a space with a different culture is terrifying. And think about what it would be like for you if you wanted to go into a space with an entirely different culture and you, and they were like, oh, what are your thoughts? What are your needs? What are your opinions? How comfortable would you be sharing in that kind of space? Just kind of put yourself in the shoes of somebody else. Like, yes, you should be reaching out to people of color that are in your workplace, but imagine what it would be like for those people to come to a meeting and want to be honest and open and vulnerable when no one else really looks like them. Or gets those concepts or those references that you make.
0: Uh, I, yeah, and I think one of the things both our branch and the IWW as a whole could do better um, is m- participating in culture in a way that's relevant to today and relevant to other cultures. So, like, we got the Little Red Songbook, right? But I, I'm, a, I'm an artist, so it's always going to come back to art. Uh, Little Red Yep, see, so the IWW has this thing called the Little Red Songbook. It's full of old, old-ass folk songs, right? Uh, like, you know, there's power in a union, a bunch of stuff by Joe Hill, a bunch of stuff by like Woody Guthrie and like old ass shit. Right. And Derek and I are like, fuck yeah. Kick out those jams, motherfucker. You know, <laughs> get your acoustic guitar out. And I'm going to sing an old hymn with all the words mixed around. It's going to be great. But that's a not what like other cultures are into. And B, not what kids are into. Like, there's no... <laughs> There's not, there's not a lot of like 16, 17 year olds who are like, man, you know what I love? Some folk music. Give me that Appalachian shit, baby.
1: Yeah,
0: it's true. And we would do better as a union and be more diverse if we just like, you know, let's get run the jewels in the one big union. You know what I mean? And that will attract much different people than me. Sure. Although oh, I do got, love Run the jewels. <laughs> we got Tom.
1: We got Tom Morello, right? So.
0: Yeah, but then he goes and does like acoustic songs, and he sings those songs. We got Billy Bragg too, and he does the same thing. Yeah, it's true. And I love those guys, but like, we need we need more?
2: I was gonna ask how many um black artists are kind of played at these. these <laughs> events. Not much. Yeah, not that I know of. Yeah. There's a lot of overarching themes though, right? Like like NWA is a fuck the police song, right? We gotta and
0: it's so good.
2: Right? There's that, there's some crossover between this is, the ACAB this is, in union union thing and rap music, right? We can kind of acknowledge that. That this
0: is a side tangent, but straight out of Compton is one of my favorite records of all time because it is so <laughs> weird. It is all fuck the police, join a gang, hit a woman, and like do drugs, but then it's like Express yourself, and maybe don't smoke weed, just for one song.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a Uh, (laughs) ten. So, so I just want to, I want to like bring us back to a touchstone that you brought up earlier, Jason. That was like Ben Fletcher, and if we think about like the IWW organizing of old, right? So, so. So, like, first of all, I I I don't think that the history contains necessarily everything that we have to do in the future. But also, what was different about the IWW back in the day than is different now? Well, there are a lot of things that are different. One is we had a lot of disorganized people in the world, and 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 business unions were racist AF, right? Like that was that was a fact of of the day. Um, but the other thing that is different is that wobblies were a little evangelical, like that's like that's a real thing like we traveled the country on both like the hobo rails but we also had multiple jobs we had active organizing where we went to job sites we had wobblies that made big speeches that that went town to town and talked to people they went into spaces where they were maybe a white man, but the only white man in that space, right? So they went into spaces where they were a little uncomfortable at times, and they talked to people and spread the message there.
0: And I'm warning you, Derek, post-COVID, I'm thinking about that kind of
1: stuff. Well, we should be. There are community centers all over Ypsilanti where we can go and we can get to know people. I mean, that's mutual aid, and we should be doing that. We can't just provide mutual aid to to the to the poor and in need, uh, or just the people in need uh, that are that are white, Nipslin. We have to provide it to everybody. And I don't, I don't think that anyone in the in the in the IWW is advocating for us to only support white people, right? Like, I don't think it's that overt. But but I do think that one of the things that we don't see as often is that we are not in those spaces. We are not in the principally black community um, going to to a community center there to see what their needs are, um, providing our support there. Uh, and, And I think we need to do more of those things. We have to be out there talking about the message of the one big union, and how we are workers with real power. And we have to be doing that across across spaces. And we have to find the spaces where workers are and organize them. Um, and it has to be purposeful to some degree. If you're organizing in an industry locally that is principally white, your union is gonna be the one big white union. Like that's what it's gonna be. Uh, and if that's where you wanna focus, because that's like the strategic decision that your branch has made, you might want to reflect on a little you might want to reflect a moment and just kind of think about what are the people who are in need of our community where is our solidarity with farm workers we have washtenaw county has a solidarity with farm workers organization that the iw the APIWW has not formally engaged with and i think that we need to do that this is a little self critical of our branch like what are we missing out on um and so and so those are all things that, that i think we really do have to we really do have to spend more time doing. Uh, and then even in spaces where we have organizers right now, a lot of the people who are coming out to those spaces are white and it has become increasingly white. That's that's in one hand fine because we need organizers wherever they come from, but also it's not great because like Lindsay said, like it's hard to come to a space where you're the only person who looks and speaks and acts like you. Uh, And then, and then try to interact with a culture that may actually seem quite foreign to you in some ways.
0: And sometimes inherently hostile, even if it doesn't mean to be.
2: Yep. Or the fear of being perceived as hostile when you're not intending to be. That's a, that's a major specifically to African-American experience that like, I am too loud. I'm too obnoxious. People think that I'm being much, I'm much more upset than I really am and my voice is just elevated. Like I'm just a loud bitch. That's just who I am as a person. (laughs) And it doesn't indicate that I'm ready to punch somebody in the face. It really isn't an indication of aggression. It's more of an indication of excitement, but I'm also recalling spending many, many years of my time with like queer transgendered individuals who are also very like very loud and very, you know and so this is a cultural thing, right? So I guess the, the, the point I wanna make about specifically the Ipsy IWW is um, I wonder how many, how much the members of the Ipsy IWW acknowledge the racism about Ypsilanti. So for context, I go to work this morning and I go see my coworker who is in the middle of telling her um, sister that this is the line in Ipsy. You can go left of this line. If you go right, it's not safe, right? And as someone who has lived in (laughs) New York City and Philadelphia, right, I can't fathom the idea of Ypsilanti being particularly unsafe. I really just can't. I was just in Detroit last night. (laughs) Many, many buildings were falling apart, and there were still people living in them, right? So Ipsy is... (laughs) not a place I imagine needing to be afraid of, but that's a a prevailing attitude in this community. I I was so upset by this coworker telling me, hearing my coworker telling her sister that you have to be very careful, you shouldn't go in this part of Ypsilanti because it's dangerous. I mentioned that to other staff members and many of them said, many of them that were also white said, oh, I've heard that before. Oh, I've been warned that people have told me that before. And so Ipsy has this reputation of having this like delineation between what's safe and what's not that also directly corresponds to what is white privileged and what is not. Yeah, it's very coded language. It is extremely coded language. And that is, is a question I would pose to people in the Ipsy IWW in particular I mean, do you have those attitudes? Do you have this attitude that community centers on one side of Ipsy would be safe, and community centers would on the other side would not be safe? That would be the question I would ask. Yeah. I I mean, I'm I I have a hard time imagining. Like I have seen, <laughs> I have lived in neighborhoods where you do not call the police even if people are being hurt. Yeah. That's that's people. Other people have experienced that, and I'm very glad. But it it just breaks my heart to think like there are poor communities in Ipsy that are struggling and are, are perceived this way as these dangerous hoodlum places where white people shouldn't venture. You know? It's,
0: it's so weird because I, I, I've moved here four or five years ago and some people at work are like, Oh, you live in the hood. And I'm like, no, I don't. I have, I have lived in the hood before. This is not the hood. This is, it's fine. You're, you're growing up behind some gates. If you think this is bad, it's so wild to me because it's, it's fine. I don't, I don't know. It's fine. You're okay. It's very,
1: it's very much like the case of like relative deprivation, though. And you know, with the risk of going too far off topic. I mean, it's it's and, and and I think the point that you raise that you raise, Lindsay, is 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 very good. Um like like where do we as fellow workers feel safe? And and the answer is that you know, at the bottom line is that we should be we should be going anywhere there are workers. That's 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 the IWW's bottom line. If there are workers there we should be going because every worker needs to be organized. And, and i don't think that there are again i don't think that there are fellow workers out there who are like well south of ypsilanti it's a bit dangerous you know south of michigan avenue it's a bit dangerous to be organizing over there but they might they might kind of unconsciously think that at times it might be why they don't think about going to the community center if they even know there's a community center there because i had no idea it was there till i was riding my bike around one day and came across the community center and went oh what the what the hell is this there's a community <laughs> center over here what is this entire neighborhood i am not in an Ypsilanti native, right? So I just had to, I just kind of stumbled upon this piece of Ypsilanti one day. So like it's, um it's it's very, I think, I think that it's very important that we challenge a lot of our unconscious biases. I think it's very important that when we hear a person of color speaking in the room and they come off as kind of loud, um like, like if there's a black woman speaking in the room and she's coming off as loud, like, why do you feel threatened? If you feel threatened right now, why do you feel threatened? Um, and if you feel the need to like defensively fight that person over something, why? Like, like, what's the source of that? It's really important for us to for us to be self critical uh, on these issues because if we're going to organize in these spaces, we're not going to go into those spaces and culturally colonize them, right? Like, that's not how this works. We go into these spaces. Uh, and and we learn these people. We meet these people. It's, again, agitate. it's, it's organizing 101, right? Agitate, educate, organize. We got to go in, learn the workers' issues. What are their concerns? What are their problems? Get to know people. Develop real functional relationships. And when they're in need of help, we have to be there to help them. And that's really what it comes down to.
0: L- Luckily for our branch, I've got loud and obnoxious on lock. Yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Any closing thoughts, I guess? On the subject of the IWW and race? Have we solved racism in the last 45-ish minutes? We have not. Ah, <laughs> oh, damn it. Whoops. Didn't solve racism, still haven't got rid of the wage system, and killed capitalism. What the fuck are we even doing?
1: I think I think that my closing my closing thought here is that the one defensive point I, I, I often see Wobs go to when it comes to racism in the IWW is the IWW's <laughs> history. I hear it all the time it's it's like a defensive touchstone where as soon as someone says the IWW is pretty white. And then a bunch of wobs kind of go, what are you talking about? We've been fighting the clan since the forties. Uh, You know, we hate cops, uh, no cops in the union. Uh, We, we, we declared organizing across color lines in 1905 and it's like, okay, but what, 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 what did you do today? Yeah. What about like, now? Yeah. Like, what, like, like, like what are you doing right now? And, and it's a really, and that's such an important point. The IWW has a very long and illustrious history of organizing everywhere. But that's the key. Like those, those people who were organizing weren't looking back thirty years and saying, "Well, the IWW wasn't racist thirty years ago." Um, they're the union for me, right? Those were people who were there and then in the in the there and now. Boy, that was convoluted. Kind of but they were there in the moment organizing wherever workers were. And that's what has to happen. If if we're not doing that and you're getting defensive because someone said the IWW is pretty white, um, you actually might be part of the problem in the organization.
0: And like I said, it takes work to keep that up. Like just because it started one way doesn't mean it can't become something else without you, you know you keeping your eye on it and work doing the work to right. go that way. Yeah,
2: I mean, I did one anti-racist thing 35 years ago. Don't you know that like I get to keep my <laughs> anti-racist badge for the rest of my life like Uh, nothing else Mm -hmm. um yeah i guess i guess that's an important point to acknowledge is that if in fact the ipsy iww and the iww as a whole are are predominantly white then they i mean there are certain similarities amongst all organizations that are predominantly white. And that's just a fact. It's hard to face. It's hard to have your privilege acknowledged and pointed out to you. And I know that's really uncomfortable, but I mean, it you gotta come to, come to terms with it and that's how you grow, right? I think that if there is any kind of change that could happen, it would include and involve literally reaching across the aisle. I guess in the case of Ipsy, it'd be reaching across this one specific road, but reaching across the aisle and saying, how can we help you, right? I think the Ipsy IWW and the way that I've interacted with them so far uh, have people that have a lot of knowledge and skills and education and, and understanding about how to make change in workplaces happen, right? And that is an invaluable resource that isn't being shared Right now, across the aisle, and I think that's what's I think that's what really needs to be happening is really acknowledging that there are other needs that need to be addressed: childcare, housing, rent, food, etc. And acknowledging that those are things that you need to be kind of talking about to people. What are your needs? What are you? What is? What? What can we do for you to help? Is going to be a much more um, acceptable approach. Um, to trying to reach across the aisle and get more people of color at these kind of uh, meetings and events.
0: Well, I think that's the show for the day. Thanks so much to Lindsay for being here. Thanks, Terry. You're always
2: welcome back, Lindsay.
0: Yeah, if you want to yell at us for something else.
2: I'd love it. I'd love it. All right,
0: bye, everybody. Bye. And that's the show, folks. It was recorded and edited by me, fellow worker Jason intro and outro song are also by me fellow worker jason if you'd like to join the iww and be part of the one big union go to iww.org join if you have any questions comments or concerns for us you can always email us at ipslanny at iww.org and until next time an injury to one is an injury to all